um and thank you very much samir um for coming on to this uh epistle podcast uh you know second day my great pleasure ragu you're doing uh, amazing <laughs> job i think we all enjoyed it it would be nice to have the whole directory just everybody in that i think i hope so i hope i hope um i'm not in touch with a lot of them so i in, in this kind of excuse i think i should i should be reaching out to most of them and getting everything done most of us know that you are from belgaum right so you were a local i you uh, probably yeah. grew up there but i might be mistaken i am finding out so many new things about everyone every time i call uh, so tell me about your time before you joined jnmc i mean you might be surprised or shocked now to say that i my initial childhood my primary schooling was in bangalore wow <laughs> okay go on my my dad was in the air force so we were in mogish palamiria near hla for that side and wow. i studied in my primary education in hal that is hindustan aeronautics limited school actually i finished my primary school link there and then my dad took in voluntary retirement because he spent about 21 years in the air force had been all over the country and some international trips and then he found it hang on i can't be available for my family when i'm needed so yeah it is that he took all in retirement and we came back to his hometown belgaum so belgaum was your dad's hometown this is where he yeah, grew up right. but but you were actually traveling as a family with him and bangalore That's was right. where you were before you came so what what age That's were right. you when you came to belgaum so i mean i spent my initial 5 6 years in londa if you remember the small uh village you can say very famous because of its junction if you had to go to bangalore or goa that's right london that junction yeah <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah, yeah. there that's where i was as a very small kid and then we went to bangalore and from bangalore we came back to belgaum uh-huh and belgaum i studied in the same school where my dad studied which is a st paul's you know which was and is still one of the most reputed schools in yeah. belgaum actually You see, I joined uh, Kaylee's uh, RLS College, which was okay. on the college road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you might have seen the Lingard. Uh, you have seen the Kaylee's. I know, office, I know where right? it is. Yeah, that is on uh, on yeah. the way to Bogar Ways from uh, Sarani Channam Hospital right. towards Bogar Ways, right? So RLS. That was, yeah. my, that was my 11th and 12th actually. Oh. When I applied, yeah. By the time I applied for the quota, I was first or second on the list myself. Uh-huh. So others had got either through whatever. some went to engineering college some went to uh, like rajiv jain was ahead of me but he got a merit site so he he was picked uh-huh. off we used to play like even if i beat him off so i was lucky and i got through the corporation site so and uh, as you know like the college was just 15 minute walking distance from me actually now that you mentioned rajiv jain i remember that you both were very good friends during the first year Uh, is that right yeah, we, we were schoolmates actually me and rajiv jain yeah okay. me rajiv jain sachin chaukle and topia uh, uh, topia was not schoolmate he was in rls d match actually okay 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 but sachin chaukle and uh, you won't be knowing you know that pakul kar that pakul kar the school mate actually yeah okay. and um it's funny because i just got off um, interviewing tejo a few hours ago and even she was talking she's also a localite so um, oh, i was yeah. i was i was saying that the localites seem to have had their own parallel universe you know because 
we in the hostel had slightly different kind of experiences compared to you guys because you had home and everything and also your yeah. friend circle was a little different what were you, what you were doing for fun or whatever was a little different to the people of like us who were living in the hostel so what were you doing in your time what how did you spend time having fun in jnmc well i mean the thing is uh, when we started jnmc basically i mean you know i'm quite a social person so uh, we i used to frequently come to the hostels yeah. most of the lunch breaks were in the hostels uh-huh. and our cricket and everything that we played everything that was there and then also been actively involved with sports and other things related to the college activities that was another reason and initial years i was also in the hospital parliament or committee whatever it is to begin with so i i pretty much uh, spread out my whole uh, time between all these things what had happened was when we moved to our house near the medical college i was in 10th standard so obviously 10th it went into studies and everything and then 11th 12th i made myself so busy i could hardly make any local friends Uh-huh. and the reason for that was I was very active in ncc that is national cadet corps yeah so i used to go for teach shooting i used to go for gliding wake up at 5 in the morning go all the way to samra to do gliding so and then reach college like you know so there was hardly any time for me to make good friends in my within my local area so it was just high by so as a result of this i used to spend more time with my college colleagues then with my own local friends like you know so most of your friend circle who remain right now are mainly in college right now from college from jnmc college and school that's it and school so what was your uh, kind of favorite memory where you got into trouble or or in in jnmc you know have you gotten into trouble or were you scared of your dad oh, being army man and not doing much <laughs> no i mean when it comes to discipline and my dad being army man discipline and timing was very important for my dad who yeah. let me stay late night uh-huh. uh, in fact you know pedro and everybody some of my friends used to laugh at me oh you go sign up lot your husband might be waiting for you <laughs> because they knew i was very particular about that yeah uh, we grew up with a rule that when the sun sets you should be at home <laughs> wow and we never like we never like winters because the sun would set early yeah were you going out did you have any favorite joints I mean in fact uh, being spent my life in Belgaum we had few joints and as i told you some of my school friends most of them who were into engineering mostly uh-huh. so they were the friends i would always meet at sort of thing most of the time actually and uh, all depends like i mean if i wanted to go for non vegetarian meal obviously we would go to our local joints like nias which had started uh, sometime at that time uh but more importantly we would mostly go for desserts rather than meals at that time i think kaveri uh, you remember in, if you go to bogarvis at that corner was that restaurant kaveri restaurant was uh-huh. kaveri said i don't know uh, but right. it was it's uh, you know top in town top in town yes yeah so if you if a top in town is on the left side, if you go straight ahead was that was the restaurant there and it was supposed to be a very hot spot for all youngsters to meet for um like in the snacks and ice creams and those bits we were in belgaum we were very choosy every if it depends what i want to eat if i wanted to eat a good masala dosa it would be ajenta uh-huh. if you wanted to eat a good 
your pav bhaji that would be uh, shakti that sharma's basically so you, sharma's. Had, you had your joints for what you want to eat yeah yeah if that you wanted like... kachi bhaji yeah if you wanted kachi bhaji our what was his name uh, that tapori chap who opposite uh, hanuman used to have his uh, small kachi shop bhaji. and yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> so that fellow and uh, yeah, many people not aware actually the pavan restaurant opposite the college was very good for puri bhaji and uh, shira utappa was famous for uh, opposite globe theater there is a restaurant which is still there actually uh, he was famous for uh, his upma and other things uh-huh. and where there is subrex cinema he was famous for something so we all knew the specific spots where we would always go <laughs> so that is awesome that is the way we used to pick our restaurants basically yeah yeah well, that's uh, i want to go back to belgaum and try all those places next time <laughs> so every time i go to india i i think i should spend a couple of days in belgaum just for old time sake but then you can't get the time out but i think i need to start making those times out i mean when did you last go to belgaum This was in the reunion, not the last one, the one before that. One before, kind of close okay. to close to thirteen years now, I think. Um, so, Samir, after your JNMC stint, what did you do? Where did you go? Oh, I think we kind of lost. We were we were in touch in kind of social media, but then after that, it was only in the reunions that we met. But can you tell us, take us through what you did? Where? Yeah, after I finished, I think so. I mean, I I just started. I joined pharmacology, worked there as a teacher for a year. In JNMC itself. In JNMC itself, and after that, uh, through All India, I got a diploma chest in Pune, basically, uh, and I developed interest in respiratory. I said, "Fine, I'll do that. I'll do DND." Yeah. So I went to Pune. I finished my diploma there, and I wanted an MD, so I restudied and reapplied in after my first year, and. I was very excited because I got a better rank in the second time, and unfortunately, a very bad incident happened with me. I was traveling to Delhi to for our counseling, uh-huh. and I was looking forward to get an MD seat this time. And somebody licked my all my certificates and everything. On your way to Delhi. On your my way to Delhi. So, in fact, I had I was sleeping in the train. I was traveling from Bombay to Delhi, and somewhere around between Igatpuri and Manmad, which is supposed to be the hub of all the states. In spite of my suitcase being chained, they cut the chain and they took away my suitcase. So I lost all my certificates, everything. And so you, and then, but then, you, did you lose your seat because of that? You could not go. Yeah, because, yeah, because it was no use because I couldn't go there because it was very clear that I needed to have all my certificates and everything. So I broke my journey and returned back totally disheartened, and that was shock and a nightmare. I said, "Hang on, why am I doing this?" And after that, I had to reapply right from my tenth standard certificate to all my MBBS certificates, everything to get duplicate copies from the. What a nightmare! Yeah. Abroad, actually, but uh, thank God. I mean, after that, I finished my diploma, and then I initially looked, got a DNB seat. I tried Bombay, but I got married immediately after as soon as I did my diploma. Uh-huh. So again, you know how parents are. Okay, you're married now. You have to stay with your wife. You can't go alone. <laughs> I said okay. So Bombay was out of question. Bangalore was out of question. So because they would take you as a resident job, but they wouldn't let you have a family accommodation. Everything. 
So I managed to negotiate with one hospital in Hyderabad, um, but the hospital had a reputation of not paying people. And my friend, you know, Farasat, Farasat was working there. Yeah. Farasat said, Tommy, you're coming here. You are independent. You want to make sure you look after your wife and everything. But I think so you'll struggle here. You'll be dependent on your dad's money. So was Farasat working there at that time? Yeah, he was actually. He was doing, I think, something over there. He was doing something. Through him, I got some information about that hospital uh-huh. there. Oh, okay. So I was a bit reluctant, but luckily I got in Goa Medical College. So I joined Goa Medical College as a senior resident. Uh-huh. I always thought but, that you were in Goa. You trained in Goa. I didn't know that you actually went to Pune and then ended up in Goa. No, no. I did my diploma from Pune and then went to Goa. And in Goa, the problem was because I was a diploma holder, they would always give me six, six months. Uh-huh. So I thought, okay, I'll do for a year and register for DMB. And unfortunately, the government kept changing rules. And that put me off completely because I had a, a supervisor who could supervise me to do my thesis. I had a thesis topic which I had worked on, but somehow they wouldn't agree for it. So I went all the way to Delhi. I met the MCI's uh, sub-dean. Uh-huh. I also met the DMV chief in person. I gave a written complaint letter, everything. They just diplomatically apologized that, look, the rules changed, basically. They wouldn't accept. They wanted every college, teaching college, to declare DMV post, and it should be prospective, nothing retrospective. So it was quite a bit disappointment after wasting two years, two and a half years ago. Wow. Tell me about this DNB. I mean, why such a desperation to take DNB if you already have a diploma? Does it make a huge difference in India? So if you're doing private practice, it doesn't make any difference at all. Uh But if you want to be in academics... Then you need that. And then you need that. So, I mean, my aim was to come back to Belgaum. We had medical college there. I wanted to be attached to academics and I wanted to do everything. So the problem with that time was... Even with your diploma, government wouldn't recognize for anything. Even if you wanted to go for a class one post, you wouldn't get that yeah. uh, at a senior level, even if you want to do a government job, because diploma was as good as nothing. Yeah. So I was quite keen that I should have an MD equivalent, basically. Okay. To, to tell you frankly, GNMC did offer me a bond seat uh, to do my uh, MD. Okay. After my diploma. But the only problem was... Uh, the only problem with there was, you know, they had started that and it crashed. So two people lost uh, their career things, basically. So two of our seniors. What, what do you mean? What, what started what? Started the program and then... They, they started MD, MD Respiratory Medicine. And then after they finished about a year and a half, it didn't, they didn't get recognition. So they got... Hmm. They didn't happen. So, and they wanted to restart and they offered me actually, which was very kind of them. Uh, I said, okay, that's fine. I'm going to be here. I'm a Belgamite. I don't mind. But again, people told me, hang on. In fact, one of the people who had suffered this loss, he was our senior. Uh-huh. I met him. He, he finally managed to go and do something in Bombay. But he told me, look, Samir, uh, things the way that they are, uh, it might not materialize. And then he told me a few things about management, seat, that how I will be like, you know, yeah. uh, be treated over the next few years, everything. I said, okay, then that's not a good idea. And then so what, what brought you to UK? When did you move to UK? 
So after getting this frustration from DMB and everything, I said, okay, uh, let me make some money and start my own hospital. So I moved to Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, while starting in Saudi Arabia, uh, one of my remote friends, in fact, when I was in Goa itself, me and Alpesh and his Alpesh's friend there in Goa said, oh, we should do, go to UK. I think I'm going to UK. Yeah. So okay, fair enough. So when I was in Saudi Arabia, then I took my IELTS and then came to Bombay and took my part one. And that was just like, you know, okay. And then in Saudi, I wanted to do membership basically. Yeah. And I liaised with uh, Royal College and GMC and the feedback I got was it would be really difficult to get your memberships and anything because I was working as a chess specialist in a small DTH in Saudi. Okay. So I think that was true. So it was going to be difficult. So I somehow I was obsessed that I should get some MD equivalent. That was yeah. in my brain. Yeah. And other option I went to Saudi was, okay, work there for about three to five years, get enough money so that you can come and set up your own hospital. That was my next thing. Uh-huh. So a year and a half down the line, I got to, I mean, that was time when I contacted you, Anjali, and tried to get some background Materials. information and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously those were the worst days actually to come to UK. Uh, I remember Anjali specifically telling Samir, you are talking about she was right actually. Yeah. So, uh, and then 2004, I moved from Saudi straight away, came to UK, did some attachment, took me almost five and a half months to get my first break actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's kind of typical in the UK. People, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I, you know, it takes a long time. And then once, where was your first break? Where did you go? Uh, I got it in Colchester in Essex. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then you started as an SHO and then you did a rotation, then SPR. Is yeah. that how it went? So again, it was so tough basically. And the people needed contacts here. I didn't have any contacts. Uh-huh. Apart from a couple of friends and uh, you guys in different places. So, in fact, I had to literally go and uh, tell one of my Gora bosses, look, my visa is finishing. I don't have money to extend. Only thing I've got is a return ticket. Yeah. And if you think I'm competent, then he just picked up the phone and called the HR and said, okay, I want to give him an ad hoc look. Give. That's it. And then that's it. Yeah, and I had to tell off one of my supervisors under whom I came to do the attachment that he recommended two people after me, they got the jobs and I never got a job. Yeah. So that is all because they were getting pressurized from their friends and family to give jobs to their friends. Yeah. So the place I was working, we had a Iraqi, we had a Sri Lankan, we had a Pakistani, all these people. And they would get the people who knows them and they would start getting them jobs straight away. Right. So it was tough. And, but... I mean, I got one break and I got started with uh, ED and worked in the ED for about a year and a half and uh-huh. uh, then got into medicine again. Okay. And then when did you, where did you do your specialist training, the thoracic SPR? So, so, yeah, I mean, that's also actually very interesting. Uh, after finishing my membership, everything, I went back to India for a few, for a couple of months, took a job in Belgaum Institute of Medical Sciences, PIMS. I worked in the government hospital for a couple of months. I didn't know this. Okay. <laughs> so that was a very short period. But again, they said, okay, your membership is not recognized. Yeah. MCA does not recognize MRCP. Yeah. 
And apparently the dean of BIMS, his son-in-law was in the UK. And he said, look, uh, Samir, the minute MCA recognizes MRCP, within two hours I'll give you assist, associate professor's job and within three months I'll make you a professor with your experience. Yeah, That's what he promised me. And they had MCA inspection in BIMS, so he wanted me desperately for chest diseases. I was the only person there. Uh-huh. So... As we were doing this, uh, apparently, like somehow it didn't work out. And I said, okay, so I can't stay at a registrar level in a government hospital. And I realized, okay, I still don't have enough money to start my own. Yeah. So what I said, okay, let me do something. I've got my membership. Let me go and do some fellowships. So I applied for a fellowship here. And I joined as a senior clinical fellow in pulmonology and interventional pulmonology at uh, Lancashire in Preston. So I got there, I went and... No, I came back and I took a lat position, actually. Uh-huh. And after the lat position, I thought, okay, I should do some interventions to become more competent. So I applied for a senior clinical fellow in intervention pharmacology. So everybody started telling me, oh, why are you leaving a training job for a clinical fellow post? I said, because I want to go home. And amidst this, my wife relocated to India twice. She had her own clinic. And she was a poor girl, like, hey, like, hey, you're between me and UK here and there. Yeah. So, and I took the international fellow job. I said, okay, this is it. I finished this and I go back to India. Yeah. Good. As I was doing the intervention thing, I got my um, SCT and my CCST exam cleared everything without training. Uh, that was the first of its kind. I, I passed that exam as well. I said, okay. But technically, I had passed a specialty certificate exam, which was the exit exam for uh, all the trainees. Yeah. I said, okay, my knowledge is not that. <laughs> and then I started uh, also people told me, okay, why didn't you apply for registrar's post? I said, okay, uh, do I really need to do that? But I think what stopped me from going back at that time was uh, we had some issues with uh, kids. I mean, uh, it was bad obstetric history, and there were certain things we needed to do. Uh-huh. Uh, I tried to do it in Bombay, just look and everything. It was not practical and not materialistic to do those things. And uh, what I was offered here, I thought I could do it. I could still be working, and even if I had to do it privately, I can still spend it and do it locally yeah. rather than take time off, go and live in Bombay and do it for three months. So it was not working or practical. So I had to ask my wife, okay, you come back again. Yeah. So, and whilst we were doing this, uh, I applied for training number, and surprisingly, I got a training number, which I didn't expect at that time. Uh, and lo and behold, you became a consultant after that. That's the thing, actually. And I got it in London rotation, and I always wanted to work in London, which I never got. And, and so I remember now, when, how long have you been a consultant now? About six and a half years now. Six and a half years. So yes. obviously you're doing very well. How is your wife doing? She came, joined you. Yes, yeah, she came. She joined me. She got her exams. Uh, dental exams is one of the most difficult exams in this country. Ninety uh, percent yeah. of women give up. Yeah, and I know the dental. Part. Dental is quite tough. Yeah, people don't understand. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. No, no, she passed that, and she's doing very well. And she's doing uh, implantology certificate diploma with Cambridge currently. That's she awesome. I remember. I remember. We, I remember. We all had this kind of get together in Lake District. Yeah, I remember that. And and you, 
me, um, K- K- you know, Priya, your wife, and my little daughter, we were all in the same boat. <laughs> that is when we were doing the boating drag. She remembers me actually. <laughs> so we were all in the same boat. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it was it was great fun at that time. Um, yeah, and and so tell me about the typical day in the life of Samir. You know, now the consultant. Um, how 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 do you start your day? What you know? What 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 is it? What is it? What is what are what are the kind of? Do you guys sub specialize in something? in your group at all? Yeah, yeah. So mine is at DGS, District Hospital, about 400 beds. So we've got about five consultants in my specialty. Uh, As soon as I joined, they pushed me to become the lead of the department and the service lead. So that initially, like until uh, August last year, I was the lead. So that was too much for me. Yeah. Yeah, clinical lead and everything. And also looking after endocrine and gastro as well. Uh, because they had three services joined together. Uh-huh. So that was the thing. But thankfully, I got a very friendly hospital. Um, where my job, I must say, touch would compare to anybody else. Uh, people, we all know the grass looks greener on the other side, but I think my grass is the perfect. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great uh, kind of attitude to have, yeah. I, I, I mustn't grumble. And uh, I mean, the thing is, you know, there are certain things that you can do is within your hands. There are certain things that you can't change. Yeah. So you have to adapt and move. And yeah. that is what it has been. But uh, so typical day, mostly it all depends. Like, you know, most of the days it begins at nine, sometimes eight. And once in two weeks, I'm on call. So I finish at half nine. Yeah. And then after half nine, we're at home. Uh, one in 24. Uh, one in 12, it used to be uh, weekend, one day a call. And your something. colleagues are all very friendly and... And what do you enjoy about your work the most? I think so you are valued. That is most important. I mean, uh, I do sub-specialize in uh, interventions and I do pleural diseases and airways disease. Uh-huh. So um, I liaise a lot with the primary care uh, to get up integrated uh, system, everything. Yeah. And... Uh, Obviously, other thing is uh, I'm a lot of into teaching. I'm the Royal College tutor. I'm the uh, tutor for the physician associates. I'm the clinical module lead for the uh, Anglia Ruskin Medical School and also honorary senior clinical lecturer for Queen Mary, Mary University, London. So, uh, wow, uh, man, that is awesome. Yeah, so these are like my part-time parallel things going on. In no, but terms uh, of yeah, so you were able to kind of even keep that academic kind of stint to your job. That is, involve yourself in teaching these registrars and the and the residents and, and yeah, yes, and stuff like I mean, that. The, I mean, the Royal College tutor just taken it up a couple of months ago. Uh, otherwise, I was still just with other teaching hat of. Uh, uh, representing Anglia-Ruskin Medical School as well as Queen Mary University London. So that, that was keeping me like, you know, going sort of thing. So yeah. you had the teaching bit on one side, then you had your you know, other bits in terms of your clinical work and your subspecialty work. So it's quite nice, actually. There are busy days which everybody has. There are days when you'll be very stressful at work, Yeah, uh, too much work. There will be times, obviously, you know, the system here is, so much of uh, bureaucratic led, managerial led. So yeah, just it's, it's the same everywhere. Same, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> same everywhere. Same so, everywhere. So let's uh, go you back. Just keep your mouth. 
Yeah, now tell me about your wife. You did tell her, tell us that you was you yeah. married after your diploma in chest diseases. Yeah, so, yeah, I got married in 2020. Uh, yeah. I think quite a few of my friends did attend my wedding at that time, who were uh-huh. mostly who were in Belga. And uh, she's a dentist, so obviously uh, she initially went to Goa. She practiced for a few times, then she practiced in her hometown. And where is that hometown? Is it Belgaum or? Uh... No, she's from Miraj actually. From Miraj, okay. Miraj. Again, that's a junction. So if you medical, come to Miraj, med- that is where. Medical hub. Of the medical area. hub. Yeah. yeah. Every other house is a hospital. Yeah. And it, it was a junction because you had to change from meter gauge to broad gauge in those old times. Uh-huh. So she's from Miraj. Anybody who yeah. is from Miraj, yeah. So, and uh, obviously she... When she came to the UK initially to get her exams, everything, it took some time. Uh, she, but she joined MaxFax and she worked in MaxFax as a SHO for a couple of years. Uh-huh. Uh, initially in Preston, then she worked in St. George's, uh, London, two things. And then she started getting her exams. Again, they keep changing their exams as well. So that was a bit of a disappointment. So now she's doing her, implant implant training in came so yeah her special interest is aesthetics and uh, single setting rotary root awesome. canals and yeah. now yeah and i mean she she's passionate uh, i keep teasing her that if you were to choose between me and dentistry i tell her i think you'll choose dentistry that's what i tell her the stamina to be in training after these many years of of medical school right so if you think about it, she probably graduated maybe about 15 to 20 years ago too. So No, she's just, up, she's an year junior to us. So she yeah, is so there you are. So now to kind of have that kind of stamina and, and, and go on is, is like incredible. Incredible. Um, yeah, I think she's got an amazing neuronic connections, I think. So she still manages to, by heart at this age, versus, you know, from the Holy Quran and all she manages to bahad them, which the verses which might be about fifteen minutes long or twenty minutes longer. But I don't know how she manages. And she can do that. Yeah, and I can't memorize two two sentences. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so she's quite passionate about her job, and uh, pretty much, obviously, we struggle with kids with everything that we tried so far. Uh-huh. So, okay, that's fine. So we've got our things to carry on. Let's carry on with that. Person. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, so you, you do, so tell me about, you know, what are your plans for the next five to 10 years? Do you see yourself kind of retiring in the UK or, or would you go back or you, you, you know, where have you, where, where are you actually going towards in the next five to 10 years? Do you have an idea or? I think last few years I've been looking at life a bit more seriously, looking at some of our juniors, looking at some of our friends and other things, what's going through. And I just keep thinking that whatever we are doing, at what cost we are doing and why are we doing it? Uh And uh, obviously everyone has responsibilities and depending upon your responsibilities, you want to... Uh, do more and more so that especially if there are kids and everything. But today's world, there's nothing is enough. There's no end to how much you keep working hard. But what I feel is we need to start thinking that, yes, I need to enjoy my life. I need to give enough rest to my brain and my physical body from work. Uh, 
I need to have those happy moments. Uh, thankfully, quite a few of our colleagues do take frequent breaks and everything. They're not workaholics, always working. But that is what everybody, one of us, do. I started cutting down on my work already planned a couple of years ago, and that's the reason I also had gave up my lead role and everything. Okay, because that is always you have to be on your feet and everything. Even on a holiday, you need to make sure you are safe. So, next few years, what I want to do, I think so. I already cut down my job. I cut down my on calls to half. Uh, in fact, since last almost six and almost a year now, I take time off three to five days. But now every eight weeks, I take a week and a half off. That is off manually, off my job plan. And uh, so you don't get I paid for that extra time that you take off. Yeah, I don't get paid. So, I, so, I so you're taking days. unpaid leave. Yeah, eight days off every eight weeks. <laughs> that is like phenomenal. Yeah, I've, not, I've never met anybody yeah. doing unpaid leave so far. We complain about leave. No. Yeah. The thing is, it was very difficult to negotiate with the management because they wouldn't agree because the service demand is so high. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I said, look, at the end of the day, what am I going to do? So they agreed for it finally from April. I take eight days off every eight weeks. So eight days is pretty much like, you know, you take two more days of annual, that's two weeks of full leave for you. Uh-huh. What so do you do in those times now? How do you, how do you spend well, the thing is, It started in April. So imagine COVID has hit. So it hasn't worked out. <laughs> in fact, these, okay. days, uh, these days, my off days, I'm supposed to be off. I have to split between the two. And yeah. because of the demand, they agreed to me to take the leave as for my convenience. Okay. So I've taken two days uh, last month. I've taken a few days this, this week, actually. Uh-huh. And again, 31st of August, I got 10 days off coming up because of that leave. Amazing. Uh, I need so, to learn from you how to kind of negotiate these times like that. Um, I have another question to you, uh, Samir. It's kind of a little lateral. Yeah. I, I kind of bounce this to people without warning sometimes. No so as you, as, you go through, as you go through your life, right, um, and if you are in some kind of situations, you always have certain guiding principles that guide you. What do you think is your guiding principle? Can you articulate it? So for me, the guiding principle, if I am at a particular stage, whatever it is related to, first thing I I always feel is I never repent for things that I, they, or for decisions I've taken in the past because at that time, at that moment, whatever the circumstances were, you took it. Okay. we thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Okay? So it's no use repenting and you can't change that. Uh-huh. So similarly, some situation comes there, I always... Uh, consult my dad, especially my brother, my closest friends, and see what their viewpoint is. Because uh, my things, the way I think, might be totally different than other people. And obviously, when I discuss with other people, it will help you to make a decision. The most important guiding principle I follow for myself is whatever I do, it should not harm or affect others. Okay. 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 And uh, more importantly, it should be like, you know, within like, you know, what am I doing? I shouldn't be selfish in the doing that I'm doing. So at the end of the day, if you can have this baseline, at the most what will happen? See, if you put that in your mind, that if I'm not going to harm anybody, I'm not going to be selfish, at the most I, I might what? Lose some money or I might lose this. That That's the only thing. That's the way I try to guide myself and go ahead. Yeah. I know that's a, that's a good one. Um, I just, you know, 
I'm kind of curious as to how people have kind of navigated their lives and how they plan to navigate it uh, from now on. Do you have any personal role models in your in your life, like in your own immediate family or 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 amongst your anybody who has had the highest impact? I see that your dad seems to have had quite a bit impact. You know, him being divorced yes, and everything. What role does he play? in your in your thought process so when it comes to life it's my dad and when it comes to profession it's uh, one of the very famous uh, consultants here in uk is from madras is dr munawar he is the british thoracic society uh, president as well currently so these are the two people i would say are role models in my life i would say obviously my dad has taught me being in defense uh, air force about discipline ethics uh everything like you know i mean you won't believe like you know there's no way i could see on a 15th august or 26th january i'm sitting at home no first thing 7 o'clock you go for the flag hoisting uh-huh. that is how uh okay if you shave regularly you shave and go to work if if you don't shave okay you can have a nice stubble everything that's your choice but whatever you do you should like you know appear fresh and you should appear yeah thanks apart from that it's mostly I think so day to day decision making and everything how to be fair and the things I've learned a lot from him and uh, he he himself is to be uh, somebody all my relatives is to look upon for any of the problems to and is to come to him and I used to always be there right from the kid as a kid so that's one thing about I learned a lot from my dad in fact I used to be a very short tempered impatient boy actually mm-hmm. and he used to calm me down the way he used to calm me down i, I still remember those days like you know. that's amazing uh, i remember i remember yeah. seeing your dad you had actually kindly invited me to your house once i think it's probably mm-hmm. during eid or something for rosa i think a lot of us were there in your house at that time um i don't know um but but i remember meeting your dad and, and you know um yeah my dad remembers you because he remembers you uh, in fact you are one of them he remembers like my name like ragu from bangalore like you know <laughs> and uh, uh why he remembers you i don't know but uh, apart from but thankfully most of my friends used to visit me yeah uh, yeah thrown a couple of birthday parties on the small house on the Probably terrace it is. of my house yeah and, and on the terrace and, <laughs> and it was nice it was uh, it was very nice to kind of visit any localized yeah. house you know because that was our window from the hostel just um to have a little yeah. bit of flavor of home um where you can see a dad a father figure a mother um sister whatever it is uh and stuff like that so it was very nice to kind of i have visited your house i've visited raul jains uh alpesh teju miagari yeah. <laughs> mar um so a lot of them this was, this was always a, it was always a great thing yeah. anyway and i mean it's been it's been fantastic to speak to you thanks for all thanks a lot uh, happy belated friends day friends day you too and thanks, thanks a lot, a lot for, for taking all your time to arrange this man really takes a lot of efforts time and so much i appreciate that it's really nice and i think everybody is enjoying it liking it Let's carry on and try to get everybody on board. Yeah, no, do your best to kind of put them on my calendar. <laughs> so, <laughs> <do> that. <laughs> see that. Let's try to get people and see whatever they got to say. Maybe approach individually and say like, "Oh, let's yeah. have a chat with you." Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do that. Okay, then. Take care. Okay, then. thanks a lot. Come here, regards to Priya and the kids. We'll do and that. when are you coming to visit us? 
I'm not certain.